Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. Wishing you all a much better year than the last. Just before the end of last year, I had an opportunity to interview Doze Bikwe, owner of the newly launched Doze's Grill in the South Loop of Chicago. The interview was conducted over Zoom in a ghost kitchen, kind of like a WeWork for restaurants. Heads up, there's a bit of background noise from other restaurateurs in the space. My first job, uh, and I was 17 years old at the time, you know how it is. I uh, came here, you know, from Nigeria as a teenager. And I believe that, um, you know, we're in the land of milk and honey. And lo and behold, uh, we're asked, my mother got us, you know, a Nintendo, I think the 32 bit, yeah. within a month of being here in the US. And she was the best mom ever, mind you. <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> my father also, you know, encouraged her uh, to, you know, allow us to um, have a computer with internet access. So uh, from a young age in 1995, uh, we had a computer at home and we were able to go online and explore this whole new world that was um, evolving at the time. Uh, but to your question, um, we got those two things, but she didn't continue to buy the jeans and the gym shoes like I expected. From City Spoon, this is Fired Up, a show that highlights the best chefs, restaurateurs, eateries, and everything in between that Chicago has to offer. I'm Dapper Kalawale. And on the show today, we bring to you the story of how Jose Bikwe went on a mission to learn, understand, and correct the state of West African cuisine in Chicago, opening Jose's Grill, a modern West African restaurant. Let's get fired up. Chicago doesn't seem to have enough African restaurants, but the ones we do have are fantastic. Ethiopian is the main cuisine you'll find here but there are some Nigerian, Moroccan, and Senegalese sprinkled in there. To up the ante, Doze Bikwe launched a modern West African restaurant to reintroduce Chicagoans to delicious African food. Doze moved to the States as a kid, but never forgot his roots and African hospitality. As an African to an African, I have to begin with African hospitality. Ah. You know... Um, we begin conversations by breaking cola. So I brought some cola. Nice. <laughs> Virtual cola. Virtual cola. Yes, that's right. It may be the 21st century. I don't know if you can see it. Or not. <laughs> I see it. I see it. But on my right hand, I have some cola nuts in this dish. Nice. Make- wow. Yeah. yeah. Let me let me let me let me virtually take some. All right. Please do. Please do. Um, All right. I got some. <laughs> I have some uh, peanut butter, spicy peanut butter as well, and alligator pepper in this nice. sauce. Nice. Nice. Wow. Okay. That's <laughs> the way we do it. So we've got the cola. Yep. Very nice. I see that. All right. Thank you for receiving me. I offer cola as a guest. Thank you. My In our culture in Igbo land, we take cola for the pocket too, which you can also give a host depending on the situation. Thanks again, Dabo, for having me on the show. Dozi's Grill is um, 
an idea that began approximately 12 years ago. I was helping uh, one of the highest grossing West African restaurants in Chicago. I was helping them uh, open a new restaurant and transition uh, the existing restaurants. And during that project, um, I learned a lot. It opened my eyes to the state of um, Nigerian cuisine in Chicago and just outside of Nigeria at large. Um, it allowed me to uh, learn that um, not many people actually know our cuisine and that those who do, that there are still many pain points, friction that needs to be overcome. And ever since then, I've been um, sort of on a mission, if you will, a quiet mission to help correct. Uh, well, first of all, learn, understand, and these days correct uh, some of the uh, problems that I saw you know, along the journey. So that's how we got here. Uh, Dozier's Grill launched only three weeks ago, actually. Wow. Uh, yes. Nice. Yes. We uh, launched with a very short, limited menu, um, highlighting popular street fair from Nigeria and West Africa, the most popular of which is uh, suya, you know, kebabs. Uh, so we're using that to sort of... Um, present the cuisine because kebabs are something that most all cultures can identify with. Uh, that's why we choose to give that presence on the menu. And uh, we complement the menu with, you know, dishes that you and I may consider comfort foods, uh, but they're also very ubiquitous throughout West Africa. Some of those dishes include uh, jollof rice, which uh, you and I know originated in Senegal, yep. in the region of Senegal, and has since been embraced and celebrated uh, throughout all of West Africa and the world over. Um, we have uh, dishes like that as well. And uh, we chose the location where we're in to help ensure that we position ourselves well to make the food very accessible accessible to those who want to come and pick up their food uh, without driving 30 minutes to the next nearest uh, Nigerian restaurant or West African restaurant. And uh, also being able to have a strong reach um, addressing the blight of West African uh, cuisine from Montrose Avenue all the way to... Uh, to the south suburbs. So when you go south of Montrose, I can count five West African restaurants and that's it. Mm. And um, if you approach the city from the center, from the downtown, um, you're looking at easily a 20 minute drive to the next nearest West African restaurant. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And um, we position ourselves as such so that we're you know, easily accessible for people to come to us for takeout, contactless pickup, or we can make a delivery uh, in as little as 30 to 45 minutes to their home or office. Awesome.
Awesome. Awesome. It's, it's interesting that your, your approach to this is not necessarily from the love of food only, but from the business viability of what you're, you've launched. Um, you know, some restaurateurs that have a passion for cooking, they just pick a place and they probably don't do like competitive analysis. Um, to me, that's very important as a restaurateur to not just look at, yeah, you, you mentioned a few things. One, you strategically um, picked something that they could relate to, kebabs, which Suya is very similar to that. It is kebab. Exactly. I, I know, but we, we, no, of course, is the uh, the Aji. Yeah. You know, being the dry rub. But, you know, fundamentally, a kebab is a kebab is a kebab, no matter what name you call it. Yeah. 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 And yeah, the dry rub definitely makes it um, distinctive, distinctively different from your regular kebabs and stuff like that. But also the fact that you wanted to make it accessible. You know, uh, there are tons of restaurants out there that have great product, limited menus, but people can't get there. Or the people that are around that location, the 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 number of people that could frequent are is set. You know, you can't have new people coming right. because you know there's no easy way of getting there. You know, so you thinking about all that and then launching. Um, is is very is very interesting that you're not just approaching it from the love of cuisine only. You're you're working on building a successful model. You know you've looked at location, you've looked at your menu, you've looked at hey why go 20 minutes out where you could get something you know close to where we are downtown. So that's 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 awesome. I guess the other question I have is. You launched three weeks ago. Did you launch like in a brick and mortar? Did you launch like what was that strategy? And yes, uh, that's a great question. Uh, Dozis Grill uh, specifically um, was actually uh, at the in the development stage was uh, originally designed to be a brick and mortar uh, location. Uh, a place where people can come in and, you know, order food. I ended up uh, finding a location in Chicago's South Side. Um, it was very, in terms of restaurant costs, you know, uh, lease costs, it was very affordable. And um, I was going to do a takeout delivery and catering model from there. Um, however, with the pandemic, all things, you know, uh, all hell break loose in March, as you may recall. And the landlord uh, gave me an opportunity to get out the lease without recourse. Not knowing uh, what was coming on the other side, I took it, um, you know. But uh, during the lockdown, I actually got approached by someone uh, through LinkedIn who represents Cloud Kitchens. And he pitched the idea of perhaps um, joining them in the facility to operate uh, my business out of there. And uh, he picked my interest that way because 
I've been studying the uh, the uh, you know digital dining space for the last four years. I happen to know that more money is being spent outside of restaurants in the last two and a half years or so than inside them. And um, I began uh, looking into the feasibility of operating from here, and it makes sense. Um, I really felt comfortable uh, getting into this facility in the South Loop. So essentially, we operate what one may call as a ghost kitchen. Okay. Uh, you're able to come, you're able to order your food. You can step into the lobby and pick it up. Uh, Dozy's Grill as a brand always extends the uh, option of uh, contactless curbside pickup. So we can do that. We can place without making contact with the guests, their food into their trunk, backseat, okay. passenger side, whatever they want. Nice. And of course, we do offer delivery, as you noted, uh, through all the major platforms. Um, uh, you name them, uh, Grubhub, Uber Eats, DoorDash, Postmates. We're on talk so that we can reach people outside of the, you know, popular, if you will, five-mile delivery radius. Gotcha. gotcha. Our delivery capacity extends beyond the usual five to six miles for the average restaurant. Way before you decided to get into the culinary scene in Chicago, where did your journey start? My first job, uh, and I was 17 years old at the time. You know how it is. Yeah. Yeah. Came here, you know, from Nigeria as a teenager. And I believe that, um, you know, we're in the land of milk and honey. And lo and behold, uh, whereas my mother got us you know, a Nintendo, I think the 32-bit, yeah. within a month of being here in the U.S. And she was the best mom ever, mind you. <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> my father also, you know, encouraged her uh, to, you know, allow us to um, have a computer with internet access. So uh, from a young age in 1995, uh, we had a computer at home and were able to go online and explore this whole new world that was um, evolving at the time. Uh, but to your question, um, we got those two things, but she didn't continue to buy the jeans and the gym shoes like I expected. So I had to take a job. I, I became a dishwasher at a steakhouse in Calumet City, Colorado Steakhouse. Yes, that's where my um, work career began really. And it was just a means of making money for pocket money. It was not my uh, intention to be in the hospitality industry. In fact, I was much more into computers. And um, I was sure that I was going to study computer engineering. And um, while studying computer engineering at UIC Chicago, I actually found that I really, really enjoyed working in hospitality. So I... Uh, first became employed as a bellman. Um, my second semester at UIC, if I recall correctly, I was a bellman at the Alatin Hotel. It was uh, February of mm, the year 2000. How was that conversation with your parents in, in terms of making that switch? That's not a nice question. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're you're here today, so you survived. <laughs> you're, you're talking, you know. If you if you didn't, if if like you know if if you're trying if you had to the conversation it. and you didn't come out alive, I'm like. <laughs> you're trying to get me to throw my ancestors under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just trying to understand because this comedian talked about their their Nigerian parents being um. They kind of tell you what you're gonna be before you, before you're even born. And the example she gave was, she goes, "My mom, when my mom was pregnant, and people came up to her and asked her, what are you having?'" She said, "I'm having a doctor." <laughs> she didn't say I was having a girl or a boy. She goes, "I'm having a doctor," you know. And the comedian goes ahead and says, "There, there, there are four professions that Nigerian parents want you to be: doctor." lawyer, engineer. The last one is disgrace to the family. <laughs> you know, and you did engineering. If you're doing computers, you're doing engineering, you know. But when you did decide to make that switch, what was that like? I really didn't see, uh, uh, I was enjoying uh, working in the hospitality industry, but I didn't have this grand plan of you know, making a career out of it. Um, it um, all started as something that I did for pocket money. And um, so shortly after being a dishwasher, we're talking four months later, I was at the front of the house as a busser, you know, in a tipped opportunity. And I found that I, uh, I found out fairly quickly that I was great with, um, I did decent. We're connecting with people on the floor and I worked well with my teammates and I saw that reflected in my earnings. Uh, so um, I'm someone who I think uh, I find that I thrive best where I can, you know, connect the dots between my efforts and the benefits that I reap, if you will. So um, I, I just enjoy that and I work well in those sort of environments. Um, yeah, you know, working as a team, you know, dealing, working on a particular goal, you know, desired goal or outcome, uh, putting in the effort and then reaping those results based on uh, you know, how well the guest receives the experience. Let's switch gears. Let's switch gears to all the great places you've worked in Chicago. You know, for someone who's looking to break into the industry, well, what did you do? Yeah, I, um, you know, in the city, you know, when I got to the city of Chicago, um, you know, studying uh, computer engineering at UIC, I, uh, you know, I worked as a bellman in a three-star hotel, the Allerton. That was my first place. That's where I cut my teeth. And um, it was just, in my opinion, uh, a role that, you know, I was a bellman, then doorman, concierge. Uh, these roles were front-facing, you interact with guests, and I just, you know, viewed them as a role that you have to be your best, and that's the approach and the ethics with which I did my work, and I think that sort of, um, you know, prepared me uh, for stepping up to the likes of Four Seasons, right? So, um, when I worked with the Four Seasons, I started as a concierge. And um, I, I think I was, you know, of course, prepared for that role 
with my prior experience, my eight years experience uh, helped position me well to, <laughs> uh, you know, join the esteemed uh, concierge team at the Ritz-Carlton, which was managed by Four Seasons at the time. Gotcha, gotcha. While there, I had to relearn everything I thought I knew <laughs> and uh, level up <laughs> to, you know, delivering, you know, service at the luxury level and just, you know, uh, yeah, just uh, that helped me uh, grow as an individual in the hospitality industry. So when you say level up at the luxury level, can you elaborate on that? Is are, are, are hotels or I guess hospitality at different levels? Can you, what is that from, from an outsider looking in? Yes. I'm assuming there is. Is that the star rating when you say that? Like five star, four star, three star? Is that is that where you're going with that comment? Uh, yes, you know, in hotels, hotels are not much different from you know other industries, really, right? Um, you can buy uh, brands, you know, whether it be in cars. There's a difference between uh, you know the reputation of. Ford versus a Honda versus Mercedes versus Porsche. Yeah. yeah. And so, so forth. And in the vehicle world, they may have, for example, rankings. Uh, and similarly, in hospitality, there are rankings from limited service to full service to um, luxury. And the uh, you know these requirements may be different from one ranking to the other, and at the luxury level, um, I think you know it's probably easy to imagine uh, uh, at the luxury level uh, it's quite uh, memorable. You know, it's opulent. Uh, you get the best. You know, luxury is the absence of worry. So ah, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Well said. Out there, we are groomed to not only address, you know, guest issues, but we, our reputation is hinged upon curating experiences that are absent and free of friction and worries. And that's what drives the decision. You know, when people are in the decision-making process, where they lodge yeah yes that's why they choose um, the luxury setting and yes it's oftentimes patronized or majority uh, largely patronized by people who are well to do and even wealthy and powerful mm -hmm. there are in my experience I also saw people who saved up all year so that they can have that one special, magical, memorable experience with their loved ones and family. And uh, that's, that to me is what luxury means. And not necessarily, you know, having loads and loads of money, but relishing a memorable experience that's absent and free of worry. Uh, it's, it sounds like a little bit like the Disney experience. You know, some families save up all year just to 
take their child to the magic land, you know, right. so they could live, relive. And it's not just the child who's reliving it. You as an adult and maybe never had the opportunity to go when you were a kid. You're yes. like, yeah, yeah I want to go as well. I want to ex- experience um, that level of, of being taken care of, of being not, not, not having to worry about anything, just be served at a right. high level. Um, very, very, yeah, I, I, you know, post COVID, I, I imagine that when everybody that wants to get the vaccine gets a vaccine, that the industry, the hotel industry, the travel industry, the restaurant, oh, they're going to be all hopping busy because people want to be taken care of. People want to travel and people want to eat good food. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. It's really rough and tumbles right now. Uh, a lot of, you know, restaurants, unfortunately, hospitality industry in general are taking hits. A good amount are even failing. Uh, however, I believe that when, you know, the dust settles with COVID, uh, yes, we may, the general public may approach with an abundance of caution in the beginning, but I think ultimately as human beings, we're going to want to just relish, uh, you know, enjoying the things that we've come, you know, that makes us human beings. We are social beings. Yeah. We want to, you know, get out again and, uh, you know, get indulged, whether it be with food, travel, you know, uh, being outdoors again. So we look forward to that. Um, the Michelin starred, um, the, su- the success that you are part of with the Michelin starred Bonseray. Talk to us about that. What does that mean? What does Michelin starred mean? How did you become a part of it? How does how does anyone become a part of that? I, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't mind getting a distinction like that, but I don't know how to, to go about it. <laughs> well, um, the Michelin star uh, is often regarded uh, in the industry as the highest uh, level of achievement, if you will. Uh, but again, that's generally speaking, it's like the Oscars, okay, of the hospitality industry, right? Now, um, <laughs> I personally don't think that, you know, whereas Michelin is, Michelin is a very reputed company and organization, uh, not just as tire manufacturers, but also as, um, you know, partners in the hospitality space. Um, I, I recognize that, yes, people the world over, they've made tremendous, I think, um, contributions to hospitality, helping raise awareness and things of that sort. Now, how to get a Michelin star, um, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm afraid to tell you, is uh, something that no one can uh, effectively define. What would they be looking at to bestow that honor onto 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 a restaurateur or a restaurant? What what are they looking for? Um, well, don't quote me <laughs> because I don't claim to know. Um, I can only speculate largely. And um, you know, we've had Michelin inspectors give some hints, if you will, but they don't outrightly. Uh, ascertain 
any specific metric. I know I'm speaking very vaguely. Yeah. They're like James Bond agents. <laughs> they want to go into restaurants. Uh, they will use these guys. They will, you know, um, try not to. They will do everything in their within their means to ensure that they are not uh, detected. Um, however, I think that you know, from when I uh, learned about Michelin, Michelin, to um, then being a part of a team that received the star the first year Michelin came to Chicago and subsequent years and, you know, observing trends. I think that the one core thing at the heart of it all um, is the products and the service. Uh, somehow, usually they have to uh, come well together in a way that is, um, in my opinion, unique and again memorable for good or for bad. I've seen, um, I've seen a restaurant in the middle of nowhere uh, with very little development budgets, but amazing food, rowdy staff, uh, rambunctious behavior in the dining room, uh, Michelin star, and I've seen also, uh, you know, one swing in the, you know, the other way, still great food, but white glove service and posh setting uh, also get the same one Michelin star. Really? Right. Um, in my opinion, I think, yes, good food um, is at the core of it, but I think also how one feels in the end, uh, a memorable experience, uh, <laughs> mostly for great, good, you know, and some uh, that may even leave you a little shaken or unsettled. Uh, those are all fair game in the Michelin uh, awards. Does that does that happen once a year, a couple of times a year? Is it multiple restaurants that could get it in a city? Right. Uh, it's usually released once a year, and you have to earn it each year. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, so the same restaurant could earn it. You have to work uh, to retain your star, however many you got indoors. Uh, really? Yes, it's not. Um, it's not a given. Each and every year, you have to continue to live up to the standards and earn it each year. Wow, that's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work, and quite frankly, that's why some chefs, you know, operations uh, politely declined. <laughs> um, in some instances, the Michelin endorsement. Gotcha. Yes, they gotcha, do have yeah. an arm. You know, something called the Big Gourmand which is um, uh, it's basically, uh, uh, how would I describe it? The Big Gourmand um, could also be uh, perhaps referenced as, um, as, as an honorable award, honorable mention. So the Big Gourmand could also be uh, expressed as an honorable mention, which especially in the casual dining food space, is uh, oftentimes desired by uh, operators so that they can just continue to be who they are, do what yeah. they do, and not have to be beholden to you know, someone's uh, spurious yeah, yeah. <laughs> of what they should be. Wow. Right. 
Oh, that's called the Big Gold Man. That's that right. A, wow. Yeah, that's, I never heard about that um, award, but um, the Michelin I've heard of, and um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I was if I was a restaurateur, I want to be a partaker of that because there's so many other things that you have to work on. We uh, we're in an industry. The restaurant industry is one where the margins are razor thin. Yeah, you know, you have to work so hard to uh, not only have good food, but to you know find your a good location. You know, find uh, a landlord that will work with you, connect with a favorable audience. You know, uh, market that will appreciate what you're putting out. And um, of course, staff and the timing better be right because there are trends, you know, trends can happen. And um, if you're lucky, a pandemic will not wipe you out if you got everything 100%. And on top of that, somehow live up to not only um, uh, critics on Yelp, which is everyone, yeah. but yeah. then the be all and the say all of them, like uh, <laughs> the uh, the tire man, otherwise known as Michelin. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. So it's often wise to, I think we're asking, it can be flattering to have that sort of endorsement, uh, which is considered, you know, top of the pops in the hospitality space. Mm-hmm. Important, you know, for any anyone who's in this space to just, you know, focus on number one, Getting it right, yeah. Get it right for who or what you want to be. You know, define that. Get it right, and you know, just um, focus on making sure that you know the people, the market, the people who are who you are there for, that you connect with them, and you know, have fun doing what you do. Absolutely. Post pandemic. How do you see the culinary scene? What would the culinary scene look like in Chicago? Whereas I don't claim to have the crystal ball, um, <laughs> I think Chicago is still uh, the culinary capital of the U.S. and arguably the world. I, I'm, I'm going to have to have you explain that after. <laughs> <laughs> what you just said right there. But answer this one, then we're going to circle back to what you just said about that. I want to know how it came to that. What did I unearth? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, you need to shed some light on that. <laughs> well, you know, we are in the city of big shoulders, you know, uh, the Windy City. So that's, uh, I'm standing on these shoulders, uh, this, these big shoulders, yes, as, uh, you know, proclaimed Chicago. That's the spirit in which I claim that, yes, uh, this is the culinary capital of the world. Uh, it's certainly the culinary capital of North America. Um, James Beard Foundation is now seated in Chicago uh, for good reasons. Yep. Um, uh, if I dare uh, uh, draw attention to that as one reason, and uh, the James Beard is the Northern Star of uh, the culinary industry. Um, it's right here in Chicago. Chicago is also the center, at the center of the West, and it's at the center of the country. And 
Uh, I think in the hospitality industry, Chicago is also widely regarded as the hotbed of avant-garde cuisines. Yes, they thrive more here than they thrive in the coast. And um, in Chicago's the top restaurant in the United States, you know, a restaurant here in the city that's you know rated also if we dare mention three stars Michelin, uh, otherwise known as Salinia, is situated here in Chicago. You know, these are the things that I consider in making that pro, you know, making that argument or comment. Yeah. Yeah, that is it's it's well said, and I'm I'm glad you we paused for a second for you to actually highlight with reasons why you said that because um, that excites me. Um, I'm actually, you know, super excited to be in Chicago at this time in my life. Um, you know why? Because there's something about the place. There's something about Chicago. Right. That um, I still can't place my hand on it, but it is big. Yes. In a sense, not because of um, um, space, but big in, si- in the terms of the, the opportunities um, yes. that it offers and the things that we could change to make it even much better for everybody in terms of equity. Absolutely. And, you know, so there's a new revolution or movement happening, right? We live in a world where you and I are conducting this podcast, not in the same space, but we're separated by, you know, um, dozens of miles between us. Yeah. It's easily an hour drive from where I am to where you are. Yeah. Here we are engaged in this conversation. And uh, the same thing is happening in the uh, hospitality industry and food space in general, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in a world where today most people, um, in making a dining decision, they go to their phone or some digital device. And in fact, to enjoy the same uh, said uh, dining opportunity, they actually, majority, would have the food brought to them, not go to the food. And Chicago connects in an interesting way in that, again, uh, we happen to be the number one food delivery city in all of North America. Nice. New York York leads in takeout. Chicago leads, as far as I've learned, on delivery. Gotcha. Yes. And um, the hottest delivery markets in Chicago, um, amongst the 77 and soon to be 78 neighborhoods, and I mentioned 78 because that's in our future, right? We're talking about post-pandemic. So currently we have 77, but when this is all said and done, we're soon to have our 78 neighborhood. Chicago, uh, the two hottest delivery neighborhoods are Lakeview and Lincoln Park. Right, and uh, what's dri- what's driving that? We're also positioned to uh, strike those neighborhoods, thanks to a particular um, 
uh, I would say technology solution, um, and I would call it by name. It's called Talk T O C K, and they happen to be launched by uh, an entity that's regarded as number one in Chicago. The same uh, operators who uh, operate uh, a restaurant base here called Alinea. Yep. Yes, they saw that the pandemic was wrecking a havoc on us. Mm -hmm. uh, from the day the mayor and the governor called for a shutdown of the city and the state, uh, within four days they coded quickly. Uh, you know, went into the trenches, had their engineers like you code, uh, recode their uh, software. I don't know that language you do. <laughs> so that they can fulfill deliveries and they took it upon themselves to demonstrate proof of consent yeah. right yeah. The, the first meal they actually served was italian beef which is very chicago and that sold out very quickly and um, subsequently many restaurants now use that to negate the high fees uh, that system called Talk to negate the high fees being charged by the big four uh, delivery platforms. And not only to negate those fees, but also to reach, you know, uh, beyond the typical four, five, six mile radius. Uh, you're also able to curate particular experiences on this platform so that people who are looking for, it allows the operator to, you know, just design experiences that will benefit the house and of course you can't do that without creating dining experiences that benefit your guests gotcha right. so it allows you to customize different dining uh, menus and experiences that you know people can obtain and uh, take advantage of nice nice uh, yeah i've always known chicago is a city of innovators uh you know motorola started here the first cell phone signal Motorola started in Chicago. It's good stuff. Um, and that you shed light on the, this, this opportunity that talk has put together. Um, right. Our food systems connect with our transportation systems. You know, you may connect that the railroad systems here expanded or blew up thanks to the, you know, uh, the meatpacking industry. Uh, so it ties to food as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a city of uh, people who are determined. And um, it much reminds me of where I'm from, a city in Nigeria, in the southeast of Nigeria called Aba. Yes, Aba is home only to the second. Uh, sorry, Aba is home only to the market that is second to the Onisha International Market. Uh. Yes. Okay. Yes. Aba, um, Onicha International Market is the biggest market in West, in all of West Africa. And I believe some argue in all of Africa. Right. And a good amount of the goods that are sold at the Onicha market, if they are produced in Africa, a good yeah. amount made in a bar nice very nice the city of 
you know, that established itself as a city of trade uh -huh. before, um, well, before the establishment of the uh, uh, colonial military uh, base in Aba, uh -huh. 21. Uh, so Aba was established, you know, by trade and um, a lot of artisans who specialize in arts, crafts, you know, leather, they do fashion, textile, metal fabrication, right? Uh, that's what Abai is known for. And um, we consume what we sell within Abai. And then we export the surplus, not only to neighboring towns or cities like Onicha or Lagos, but we actually, traders from all over Africa, you name it, Nairobi, Cameroon, you know, Nairobi, Kenya, Cameroon, South Africa, you know, Morocco, they come and shop uh, for products in Aba. In markets as far as the US, Italy, China, you name it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would, it sounds like on the next trip to, to Nigeria, I, Lagos shouldn't be my only destination, you know? <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because a good amount of what drives uh, the economics of Lagos had Tracy's roots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, they say when you bend down, you'll see about. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is which, what you just said lines up with what my dad was doing. My dad's company sent him to Aba, to No Onicha. That's right. And the sales there is what's driving what's happening in Lagos. <laughs> you want to know Nigeria, you will know Aba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's Doze Bikwe, owner of Doze's Grill, located in the South Loop area of Chicago. Thank you so much for listening to the show this month. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can also write to us at podcast at cityspoon.com or follow us on Instagram. That's at cityspoon. I'm Dapo Kalawale, and you've been listening to Fired Up by Cityspoon. One quick note. Our show with Doze covered some more insights into West African cuisine in Chicago. And we'll be following up with a second part to this interview. Be on the lookout for that.